What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Combo Church Podcast. My name is Craig. And my name is Kara, and we are the lead pastors of Combo Church. If you are listening on combochurch.com, iTunes, or Spotify, make sure you subscribe, follow, and like. We love it when you share with your family and friends, and we would love it if you could leave us a great review. Our prayer for you is that the message today will inspire purpose, encourage life, and build faith in you. Enjoy Enjoy the the message. message. All right, good morning, everybody. What's up? Hey. Hey, how is everybody doing today? You good? Everybody online, hopefully you're doing well too. Is everybody fully recovered from Thanksgiving? That's, that's a digestive question in church. We're talking about that in church. Anyway, uh, my name is Craig, and you saw my wife up here earlier, Pastor Care, with the lead pastors here. We're glad that you are with us and taking the time to be with us today. This is a portion of our worship experience where we get to open the Bible and hear what God has to say to us. And so we'll get to that in a minute. I'll actually go ahead and give you the reference, and so if you have your Bible or the Version Bible app, you can go ahead and go there, and then we'll be ready to get into it. We're going to go, because uh, last week we started a brand new series on the book of Acts. We're going through the book of Acts. It's called The Church and Our Identity, and I think so far it's going really well. We've had one week, so this is week two, and uh, so we're going to be at the end of chapter two in the book of Acts. It's after the Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then it's the book of Acts. So you can go to chapter 2 and hold your place. And I'm going to start in, I want to start in verse 41. And we'll kind of review chapter 1 in the first part of chapter 2 later. But, uh, but what we do see here happening is that the apostle Peter, under the, uh, the, the filling and the baptism and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, stands up. A man who not too long before this had completely publicly denied that he even knew Christ, now stands up with boldness and power and conviction and proclaims the good news about Jesus. First message ever preached and, uh, in the Bible, and I think somewhere it says in here, it says, and for a long time he preached. So that's in the Bible. So if you're ever like, you preached too long, I'm like, well, in the Bible it says he preached for a long time. That's a horrible preacher joke, I apologize. Anyway, so anyway, starting in verse one, it says that those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. Fantastic day at church. Now, here's what's important to know. They didn't just slap high fives and go out to eat afterwards. Something had to happen for the church to actually become the church, okay? In verse 42, it says, all the believers, somebody say all. All. That's gonna show up a couple of times in these verses. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to uh, to fellowship and to sharing meals. Amen, somebody. Because, you know, that's just, it's in the Bible, so that's always good to know. Including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over all of them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions to share the money with those in need, and they worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity." all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. Each day, I love this, each day, not just each Sunday. I think that's so great. But each day, it says the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So Father, I pray in the moments that we have together that you would just allow your Holy Spirit to open up our hearts, 
God, we're not here to observe. We're not here to do church. We're not here to check a religious box. We're here to grow. We're here to be discipled. God, we're here to, to know you more and to become more like you created us to be. So we ask that you would open our ears to hear and our hearts to receive in Jesus' mighty name. Somebody say amen. 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 So, um, so we're going to dive into that in a second. Um, not, about a year ago, I got connected with uh, with a training facility in town is called D1. And some of y'all have been lucky enough to be dragged there by me and have that experience as well. Um, but it, it's so fun. It's like, for me, it's not just a gym. It's become like this whole workout, like community lifestyle thing. I go there three to five days a week. Like it's a part of my schedule. And it's not something extra I do. It's a part of what I do. Now it, it's fun. Like when you get, anytime you get around the holidays and any type of exercise environment, am I right? Come on. People start showing up. Like the last couple of days before Thanksgiving, there were so many people at D1 that I had never seen before in my entire life, which for me, I'm like, hey, party, the more the merrier. Uh, but uh, there's a good chance I probably won't see some of them next week, you know. And the same thing when we get into January, right, the, all the gyms are going to fill up, memberships are going to go through the roof, and uh, for a couple of weeks it's going to be crazy, but after that, uh, people will be distracted by life, right, and go back to what their normal habits have been, while those who have devoted themselves to that will continue, and it's so interesting, the things that you get to be a part of when you devote yourself to something. For me, I mean, the, the workout part is fantastic. It's great. But getting to know the staff and getting to build relationships with the other people that come there actually have been more powerful than anything else that I've been able to connect with in that. And so today, in the same way, that, that mentality applies within the church. So today we're going to talk about the devoted ones. We're going to talk about the devoted ones. That's the name of the message today. If you're taking notes, which you should be, writing down the title, The Devoted Ones. Now, please don't come up to me later and think that today's message is about church attendance. Because that's not what this is about today. Because there is so much more. Did you know that you can't be devoted if you don't show up? But just because you show up doesn't mean that you're devoted. Like, I could go to D1 and have a donut and a cup of coffee and just stand there and watch everybody build relationships, hang out, but I'm not devoted. I'm watching them do the work, right? You know, you can, but you can't be devoted unless you show up. So we're going we're gonna to get into that. So let me give you a definition. Uh, definition, you're going to, we're going to see this a lot as we go through the, I'm pretty much every week when we talk about certain things, it's so important for us to lay the foundation of definition because, you know, words actually mean things. They have actual meanings. We don't just kind of get to make it up and use whatever words we want. That's, it's a joke, but that's actually what culture is doing right now. It says, I'll take this word and I want this word to mean this. So to me, that's my truth. This is what this means. Well, we can't do that in scripture because God actually is truth. And God's truth is trying to put a foundation in our life that we can stand on and build on that's going to stand the test of time. So let me give a, a devotion, uh, sorry, a definition for the word devoted. It means to commit or give yourself to something or someone. And if you were to have an, an antonym, some of the opposites would be to ignore, to neglect, and to misuse. But here, here's some of the initial thoughts before we get into this text. The devoted ones will thrive. Think about that. Like People who devote themselves to a, to a thing, whatever that may be, you're going to thrive in what you devote yourself to. The devoted ones will endure tough times. The devoted ones are planted. The devoted ones will grow in every season. The devoted ones will reap the harvest from times of planting and sowing. The devoted ones will hear the Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant. And for me, that's what I want to hear. 
Like we're gonna, we're gonna pinball throughout life. We're gonna do our best by the grace of God. But at the end of the day, we wanna stand before God and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. So the questions that I wanna pose to us as a church specifically are this, and this is not for you to respond out loud now. This is a refle- kind of a reflection question. Are, are you one of the devoted ones? And, and if you are, or maybe you're like, I don't know, I wanna be, but I'm not sure. The question is, will you become one of the devoted ones? And again, this is not gonna be a church attendance message. Those, those are horrible. We're gonna get into scripture that actually talks about the application of being a Jesus follower. The devoted ones live in a divided world, yet they keep their eyes focused on Jesus and their life pointed to what matters in eternity. I mean, that's not a revelation. We live in a divided world. I mean, that's like, we, we know that. The world has always been divided. Ever since, ever since Adam and Eve went to the fruit tree, the world has been <laughs> a divided place. It's just so much more obvious now because of the, the beauty of technology. It's such a beautiful thing. But you can participate online because of the beauty of technology. So it just depends on what side of the sword you want to cut with. Anyway, uh, so the book of Acts, so which here, pop quiz, who is the church? We are, right. Good job. Pop quiz, you passed. We are the church. The church is not walls and a roof. The church is not a building. The church is where the people of God gather together. And we've talked, I've hammered this before. I'll probably continue to hammer forever. The church is not you as an individual. Like you're not the church. We are the church. You can't, when you're by yourself, you're still a part of the body of Christ, but you are not the church because the meaning of the church is this. Let's go back to our definition for for this series. The church is the consistent and faithful gathering of Jesus followers filled with the Holy Spirit who have devoted themselves to biblical discipleship, fellowship, prayer, and fulfilling the Great Commission. Like that's what the church is. And we actually get that definition from Acts chapter 2. It's kind of good. That's when the church started for us to kind of pull where the definition is of what the church actually is. So the church is the consistent and faithful gathering of Jesus followers filled with the Holy Spirit who have devoted themselves to biblical discipleship, fellowship, prayer, and fulfilling the Great Commission. So when we look at that definition, if there's anything in us as individuals that doesn't line up with that definition, that doesn't mean you should feel guilty and feel bad about it. It gives you a place to look at, see truth, and make correction in our life so that we can be a part of what God is doing. Amen? So again, as we get into the book of Acts, I wanna, there, there's a message that goes throughout the entire book of Acts, and that message is this. We, as the church and individual Christ followers, cannot function apart from the power and the function of the Holy Spirit. Like, we, we can't do it. Like, if, with, if you remove the power of the Holy Spirit from who we are as a church, then we're no longer the church, we're just some social gathering. And if I could be honest, just a really weird one a really weird social gathering without the power of the Holy Spirit, right? It's religious, it's checking a box, it's it's doing whatever I think is gonna make me be a better person, which is not how things work in the kingdom of God. It's all about the pursuit of Jesus and allowing the love of God to flow through us. The gospel doesn't even have power without the Holy Spirit. We talked about that last week, you can go back and review that. So, so when we get into this section of scripture today at the end of the second uh, chapter of Acts, uh, what we see happen in the first part of that chapter is the Holy Spirit shows up, right? Jesus, in the first chapter one, we see Jesus uh, telling the disciples, you have the good news, you have the gospel, but don't do anything with it yet because you need the promised gift. You need the Holy Spirit. And so that should tell us now, like, hey, like, just because we have the knowledge of God and we have the knowledge of Jesus, knowledge doesn't save the world. The power of God does that. 
And so if the disciples needed to wait for the Holy Spirit before they could communicate the good news, then what makes us think that we can go out on our own strength, on our own efforts, and try to be a good person, live a good life, try to honor Jesus as best we can with our own strength, we're going to fall flat on our face every single time. Every single time. You might have a good moment here or there, but consistently without the Holy Spirit, you will struggle to be what God says that you can be. It's important that we know that, um, that Jesus' church is not just defined by showing up. I mean, like I said before, it's good to show up. Show up is a starting point, but just because we show up doesn't mean that we're being the church. But we gotta show up to at least start the process to be the church. The church took shape in, in these verses that we read in chapter two. The church has a purpose. The church has a function, a discipline. It's got a flow of life. It has a mission, and the church also has fruit. Like there is fruit that should be produced from the church that points people to Jesus. And so we get that from the verse, uh, verse, 20, uh, verse 42. It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. They did not, and this is so important, because I think it, it's very easy in, in our modern-day church culture because every week at Convo Church, we give people an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. Every week. Whether we're talking about the gospel or whether we're not, we still give people the chance to give their life to Jesus. And every single week, we see people raise their hand, pray a prayer, give their life to the Lord. And we believe in that moment because it's what Scripture says. When you confess that Jesus is Lord, believe that he rose from the dead, that you will be saved. But it's not just because I, I raised my hand and recited some prayer and then went back to an unchanged life, unimpacted by the reality of Jesus. Like salvation will wreck you. An encounter with Jesus is going to change your life. And so you, we have to ask ourselves the questions individually, if my life is unimpacted and unchanged and unchallenged by the revelation of Jesus, then did I get saved in that moment? A lot of theological people want to, want to be the people who answer that for you. But like, well, if you didn't do that, then I don't even know if you're saved. Well, that's not really, that's not my place. That's not my job to judge your salvation. My job is to present how you get it. And then it's the Holy Spirit's job to lead you into that reality, right? So, but we, gotta, we have to ask ourselves, it's not just, man, God, the Holy Spirit was there. I felt God. I've had people come to church who had an expectation that it was about a feeling, and when they didn't get the feeling, they didn't return because like I was supposed to feel something and I didn't feel it, so it must not be real. Well, I'm like, why are people who aren't in the church world, why do they have this impression that it has to be about what you feel? Because the church world presents a product that is false advertising. It's about what you feel. Even my wife got up, what she said was so good at the end of worship. Like we are praying and believing for a move of the Holy Spirit. Like, just like we say in that song, it's accurate, it's theological, it's biblical. But I'm telling you, there's nothing more, more powerful that is going to transform our world than when the fruit of the Holy Spirit comes through those who call in the name of Jesus Christ. Like, we can fast and pray and have prayer services and crank up the volume and do everything we want to do. But if we shut off the flow of the Holy Spirit in our life Monday through Saturday, then we're just wasting our breath. Like we're asking God to do something where he's like, well, why don't you do that? Like my spirit's inside of you. Why don't you let my spirit inside of you produce the fruit that's gonna change the world? So we can't live like hell, pray for God to move, and then expect everything to just automatically flip upside down. It's not gonna happen. Amen. All right. <clears throat> you, encouraged, you encouraged yet? All right, fantastic. So 
So when you encounter Jesus, like life changes, everything changes. I'm not saying, I'm not, and please don't interpret that as me saying that the moment that you raise your hand, pray a prayer, you walk out those doors, that there's, there's a pixie dust machine that sprinkles over you and all of a sudden, all of your temptations go away and all of your bad habits just magically disappear and vanish and everybody that used to tick you off, you just love them now. Like, it's, I get it, there's a process. <laughs> there are things that, there's a, a journey that you have to choose to walk out. Come on, you are body, you are soul, you are spirit. When you say yes to Jesus, the first thing impacted is your spirit because that's that first part that receives salvation. Well, your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. So your mind and will emotions may be, you know, amped up on some Jesus juice right now, but Monday morning's gonna come around and you go to work and all of a sudden there's, there's that person, you know, or, or you're, you're driving on the road and that somebody cuts you off or, you know, whatever it may be. And all of a sudden your mind, will, and emotions aren't thinking about Jesus, at least not in the right context in that particular moment. And so there, there are, there's a journey and a process, right? Like, so, so don't be discouraged when you give your life to the Lord and you walk out and all of a sudden you're punched in the face with the same temptation that you dealt with the day before. Like it's still gonna be there, but the thing that changes is now Jesus is with you. Now you have the spirit of God in you that gives you the power to have victory over the things that used to knock you out. Like porn may, be, may still come at your face, but instead of you having to have willpower and trying to shame yourself into not doing it, now you have the power of the Holy Spirit to say, no, you're not alone. You can overcome this. You know, where whatever the addiction is, somebody brings drugs your way, whether it's alcohol, whatever it may be, like what used to knock you out, all of a sudden there's something inside of you that's saying, hey, you're not alone. This does not define you. You don't have to continue to allow this to conquer you. And you begin to walk out victory, 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 victory. Maybe you have a setback, but that's okay because God doesn't beat you up when you have the setback. He picks you back up. That's what grace does. Grace gives you what you don't deserve, Right? And so that's the, that's the hand of God saying, hey, it's okay, I'm with you, and we're gonna walk in a direction that's gonna continue to lead to life. I'm getting ahead of myself here just a little bit. 2 Corinthians 5.17, this is the, the picture of what we're talking about. Like when you truly encounter Jesus, everything changes. Not overnight, but from the inside out, everything begins to change. It says this means that anyone who belongs to Christ, anyone, is that you? Anyone, you're not disqualified. Anyone who belongs to Christ becomes a new person. That means that the old life is gone, a new life has begun. Now, here's the cool thing. A new life begins, and then you have the choice to nurture that new life. The, if you read prior to that verse in, in, um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it actually lays out some beautiful theology that we believe, which is this, this same picture of Jesus went to the cross, and he actually took your sin, and he took your brokenness, and he took all your flaws, and he took those, those things upon himself, upon his shoulders on the cross. And, the, and it killed him. It actually killed him and it was buried with him. But guess what? That stayed in the ground. But something else didn't stay in the ground, Jesus. Because he was your savior, your conqueror, your king. So he rose from the dead, left the things in the ground that were meant to destroy you. So that means that in him, just as he was buried and rose to new life, when you say yes to Jesus, you bury what was a part of your old life in the ground with him and you are resurrected to new life. So that's, 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 the good, that's gospel right there. That's good news. That means that when you are faced with what the enemy used to destroy you with, you now have power to say, no, I'm good. That's not who I am. I'm not, I'm not that person anymore. When you have people around you that begin to notice that for some reason you're acting different around us. How come you're not saying the things you used to say and doing the things you used to do and acting the way you used to act? 
well, that's, that's just not who I am anymore. Like that's how the world begins to see the light of God inside of you. When we sing our, like, you know, I grew up in church. Some of y'all didn't. But when you sing, you know, our, our you know, old school, like, children's church songs, this little light of mine. I always hear it with a gospel. There's a little bit of a gospel beat in it. You know, uh, you know, so it's like, you know, we get adults. We're like, this little, uh, okay, I'm going to hide it just a little bit so I don't get my paycheck affected. You know, we're like trying to, we're trying to tamper down. Like, but let's go back to that childlike faith that says, no, I'm going to shine the light that's inside of me. Why? Because there are people that can't see in the darkness. They need some light so they can see. So don't use your light to beat somebody upside their head because you're one day better than they are. Use the light to lead people to a place of hope. Use your light to encourage people. All right, so here, here's one observation coming out of this particular passage. Devotion follows salvation. Like it follows it. And that connects to everything that we just said. Like 3,000 people were added to the church that day. Why? Not because they showed up and attended, but because they heard the good news and they said yes to it. And they didn't just be like, yeah, that sounds good to me. I will, you know, I will uh, academically agree with the historical facts that you have communicated. No, they were wrecked by Jesus. They were wrecked by the message of who God was. And says they believed, they were baptized, and they were added to the church that day. And so, so it wasn't just salvation. Yeah, I don't want to go to hell. That sounds terrible. What do I got to do not to, not to do that? Raise my hand? Okay, sure, I will raise my hand because I don't want to go to hell. No, if, if, if fire insurance is the only reason why you want to have a relationship with Jesus, you're missing the bigger picture of the good news. I mean, don't get me wrong, that's a pretty significant thing that takes place, and it's real, but it's not, God's not saving us just for eternity. He's also empowering us for life now. And that's, guys, I'm telling you, that's what our world needs. Our world needs to see a living, empowered church now who's able to do out there what we say in here. Because what, what's causing the issue in our culture is what they, what they see us doing out there looks a lot like what they're already doing out there. And it doesn't line up with what we're saying in here. And so we wonder why when somebody's like, hey, how come... How come like people, my friends won't come to church with me? How come nobody's, how come we're seeing such the seemingly increased divide between what the word of God says and what we're seeing in the world around us? Well, the, the messengers are a little bit off message. And we need, again, this is where the Holy Spirit comes in because it's, it, it doesn't become some academic argument about right and wrong and you're wrong and we're right because that's just the way it is. <laughs> we actually begin to present something to them where they can see life-giving truth. You want to throw that in there, life-giving truth. It's easy to have truth and punch somebody in the face with it. That's most of social media. But when you have life-giving truth, it actually provides life. You're giving life to the person that you are presenting truth to versus just saying, you're wrong, smack, get you some. You know, it's like, that's like our theological you know, debate process. You know, as long as I can prove you wrong, then I'm doing my duty for Jesus. That's just not how it works. <clears throat> Devotion is your responsibility. So that was my, my first thought was devotion follows salvation. You have to understand, like, the church didn't just get saved, say, hey, that's awesome, and go home, take their donuts with them. Like, salvation produced devotion, devotion to follow Jesus. But devotion is your responsibility. That's one of the most powerful couple of words here in verse 42. And it says, all the people who responded, which included the apostles, included the 3,000, included however many people were with them in that place when the Holy Spirit showed up, and they devoted themselves. Peter didn't get them devoted. The other apostles didn't get them devoted. 
the emails that they send out everybody to, you know, every week to remind them that, hey, just so you know, we have church again next week. That didn't get them devoted. Their engaged classes didn't get them devoted. Like all these things that are good and that we do, like they're great. But what got them devoted was them making an individual choice that they were gonna devote themselves to what they had just encountered. They made a choice. So here, but here's the, here's the this is so important. Because sometimes I think if we don't, if we remove the Holy Spirit from this moment and from what the Holy Spirit's doing inside of us, it just becomes us trying to, trying to be spiritual really hard on our own strength. And I don't know if you've done that before. I have. Because it really stinks. <laughs> it's hard and it's almost a, a, a promise guaranteed failure at some point when you try to do the things of God, but you try to do it on your own strength. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna try really hard. I'm gonna grip my teeth. I'm gonna work hard. I'm gonna show up. I'm gonna, I'm not gonna, it's not gonna be like last year. Well, if, if, if our relationship with the Holy Spirit doesn't change, the fruit of our efforts won't change. And that's so important. The early church's ability to follow through with their choice to be devoted was dependent on their reliance on the Holy Spirit, not just self-discipline. And what's really cool is that one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit's is self-discipline. So he's even saying, what you try to do on your own, you can't do. <laughs> it's like, we shouldn't even call it self, it's like Holy Spirit discipline because self and getting it done. <laughs> it's Holy Spirit discipline, but it's called, you know, we use the, whatever, it's self-discipline. But it's the power of the Holy Spirit that gets us to that point. So here's the thing, devotion is the action of your faith confession. Devotion is the action of your faith confession. Because faith is not just a statement or an idea. Faith is an action. Like your faith in Jesus causes you to accept who he is, receive what he says he wants to give, and then causes you to, to follow and to live a life that is the fruit of the faith that you confess. Now, how many, let's be honest, how many coffee drinkers do we have? Raise your hands. Don't, don't be shy. All right, it's a little bit more, you know, it's, which is funny. It's a little bit more than the 915, maybe because you had time to get your coffee and get here, I don't know. So we're about 60%, uh, 10% of y'all are liars and the rest of y'all have been set free from coffee and I applaud you, I am not one of those. I love coffee and, uh, and so for me, like when I get up in the morning, I gotta have me my cup of coffee because I have faith that the cup of coffee is going to help me get rolling in my morning. Can my coffee drinker say amen to that? All of you others are like, well, I have greater faith in you. Yes, you do and that's okay and I love you and judge you for it. Anyway, no, no, so, so we, but your, your, your action, your devotion to the coffee is because of the faith you have in what it's gonna do for you. Like, can we parallel that to the kingdom of God? All right, uh, maybe, maybe there's more people, hopefully there's more people that wear seatbelts than there are that drink coffee. And so you have faith, most of the time, don't be the one person that's like, well, that one time I had a friend that, whose life was saved because they didn't, I was like, okay, there's always the one, right? But for the most part, we believe that like, okay, if I put the seatbelt on and something goes wrong, for the most part, it, it could save my life. Like we, we do it because we have faith that the seatbelt is gonna do what it says it's gonna do. Therefore, we are devoted, unless you have kids, you're still trying to get them, they're like, I don't wanna be buckled in. We're like, well, sorry. <laughs> you're under my house and you will do, no. You wear the seatbelt. So do you get the, the analogy? Like we, there's an action that will accompany what you say you put your faith in. And so when you say you put your faith in Jesus, there are actions that accompany that, that prove the devotion of what you declare. It's, but we have to devote ourselves. Like, I can't devote you. 
Uh, Pastor Rocky can't get you devoted. Like we can scream and holler and jump up and down and throw things and get passionate. And, 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 uh, and at best, you'll think we are weird and energetic, but only you can devote yourself to the things that God's trying to do in your life. So, so here's, here's a couple of thoughts to pull from this particular uh, passage for us to wrap up today. Um, they devoted themselves to. So let's talk about the things, the tangible things that actually created the formation of the church. It wasn't just the 3,000 that said yes to Jesus. It was what they did afterwards that formed the church. So here's, we're going to say this as a, as a declaration uh, for ourselves, not just observing historically, but placing ourselves in that reality right now. Here's number one. We are devoted to biblical discipleship. We're devoted to biblical discipleship. It says the, the early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. Well, why don't you say the apostles' teaching? Well, th- we are dedicated to the apostles' teaching. For us, it's called the New Testament. But they didn't have that. I don't know if you really, sometimes we don't think about that. They, didn't, they did not have this. They had the Old Testament, and they had the firsthand account of what the, the disciples who walked with Jesus heard, saw, observed, participated in, and then Jesus said, tell them what you've seen and heard. And so as the Holy Spirit continued to inspire them to write letters to, as churches were started, and as the Holy Spirit uh, uh, gave revelation to Paul and to Peter and to James and some of the others that we have their writings in the New Testament, that's where, thank God, we have the Bible. But the early church had Jesus being revealed to them through the Old Testament prophets and the revelation of what they had seen and heard themselves. That's why they dedicated themselves not to the Bible, because they didn't have the Bible. You know, it'd be so funny if Peter got up. He's like, all right, guys, we're going to turn to the book of James. And literally James is in the room going, what? I don't, I didn't, I haven't written any books. That'd just be weird, right? So they didn't have that. They would be like, hey, let's go to the prophet Isaiah. And we're going to read Isaiah 61. And Isaiah 61 is actually a prophetic message of who Jesus is and what he came to do. And then they would testify about what they saw Jesus do and their faith would grow. And then they would go out and tell people the exact same thing. See, luckily, I mean, we live, I'm telling you guys, I know the world's messed up. The world's always been messed up. We live in some of the greatest opportunity as the church that the world has ever known. Don't, don't despise that. Like we live in a, in a time of incredible global opportunity for the kingdom of God. The fact of what we get to be a part of today and the fact that we get to have things that the early church didn't have like we do. Like we should be able to multiply the good news of Jesus Christ at a rate that causes the enemy's head to spin off of his shoulders. That's a great analogy. I don't know how that, I don't know how that works. <clears throat> Here's a couple of verses for you to kind of solidify uh, some more of just the value of scripture. Psalm 119 verse 105 says, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Come on, this is what God's word is supposed to be for you. Like where do I, how do I walk? How do I do this thing called life? Come on, the word of God is there to teach. Hebrews 4, 12 through 13, it says, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Maybe sometimes we're like, I don't know if I want that out there. And uh, he's like, it's okay. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one to whom we are accountable. Accountability is not a religious judgmental thing. Accountability is powerful because it will bring you to the place that God of the potential that is alive inside of you because of God. Our world does not like accountability because if I hold you accountable, that means that I'm going to be accountable. 
I don't know if I want to be accountable for what's going on in my life, so I'm going to be cool with you. You be cool with me. We won't talk about nothing. And, um, and Jesus loves us all as we are, so we don't have to change, and we'll get to heaven and party one day. So I know Jesus loves you, but he wants to change us all desperately, every single one of us. There's so much change that God wants to do inside of us because the things that we, I, the things that we allow ourselves to latch on to in this world and our identity are not the things that God is trying to speak into our life. And there's so much brokenness in our world that instead of dealing with the root of it and having accountability for the change that God desires to bring inside of us, we embrace it and just say, well, that's just a part of who I am, where God's saying, no, it's, it's not. And if you knew who I created you to be, you wouldn't settle for the things that you're settling for in your life. Like you, you don't have to, do not identify with the brokenness that's inside of you because that's not who God says you are. You know, whether it's a sin, whether it's addiction, whatever it may be, whatever it's been done to you, like that's not who you are. It's not a part of you. So, so stop hanging on to these things and putting my this, my that, because it's not yours. It actually doesn't belong to you. It's actually a product of a broken, sinful world. God's trying to bring us through devotion to him into a brand new identity, a brand new reality. And we have a choice to walk in that or not. Second Timothy three sixteen and 17, it says, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. And here's the thing. God's, God's holding us accountable, not so that he can be like, oh, you messed up again. Well, here, I've given you this word to smack you upside your face every time you do something that's wrong. No, that's not the point. Here's the point right here. God uses it to prepare and equip his people for every good work. So accountability is actually meant to prepare us for the life that we were created to live. And I want you to know something. Before you were born, God already knew you. Before you were even an idea in anybody's womb, God knew you. He knew your name. And he created you with purpose. Here's what's powerful about that without me going in a completely different direction. Here's what's powerful about God knowing you before you were born. The things that you go through in your life God, no, don't, don't embrace some weird theology that God makes bad things happen to you because it's a part of his plan. That's not the nature of God. But God knows that you're gonna exist in a broken and a fallen world. And he knows that there are gonna be things that you have to walk through and endure, some, some heartaches, some brokenness. You're gonna encounter and, and be hurt by other people. But the beauty is that God, knowing you, knew that you would walk through that and he wants to be able to use you to be a light for those who have also walked through that. But if we just stay in the state of brokenness and just, I'm just trying to survive, I'm just trying to get by and one day I won't have to deal with this anymore and I'll, you know, I believe in Jesus and I'll be in heaven one day. No, that's some defeatist mentality that the enemy wants you to embrace that is dishonoring the reality of who God created you to be. God didn't notice you just when you got saved. You didn't like, oh, I got saved and boom, all of a sudden the light pops up on his map. He's like, oh, who's that? all right, I guess we're going to figure out something to do with this person because they, they believe in me now. So let's, uh, what do we do? I don't know. Let's get the angels together. What should we do with this? No, God knew you. He knew what you were going to go through. He knew what you were going to struggle with. He knew the things that you were going to battle in this life. So don't give in to the battle, but bring God into the battle with you. The thing that the Holy Spirit does in you is he doesn't remove the challenges of the world. He empowers you and walks with you so that you can go through them in victory. Amen. Here's the last one. This is as far as we're going to get today. And Moses, if you want to come up, we'll, um, 
We'll land this, land this plane. I don't know why I say that, land this plane. Who came up with that? We're not flying a plane here. Anyway, we are devoted to biblical discipleship. And here's the second one. We are devoted to fellowship. And sometimes this is so underrated. Like biblical fellowship is so underrated. And, and can I just tell you, biblical fellowship does not just mean showing up to church. And, and saying hi to somebody that you see, you know, every couple of weeks during the 60-second convo uh, that we force you to do. And it's not, you know, biblical fellowship isn't just every once in a while checking in and texting somebody who's a Christian. No, biblical fellowship is something that is only possible because of the revelation of Jesus. Now, here's something that we have to embrace when it comes to kingdom principle. Like, yeah, we're going to, we may not agree with everybody here on earth, who even is a Jesus follower, and that's okay. Like, it's all good. We're gonna party in heaven together one day and the things that have caused division before won't matter at that point. But, but there is a place where God has called you to be planted in relationship and fellowship here on earth. That's why the church is so powerful. It's not just about floating around to wherever the, the big C church is because wherever they are, I can be and I'm a part of the church. Well, it's like, well, are you, like if you're, not, if you're not invested into relationship with other people that you know and that know you, are you really connected in fellowship? Because fellowship isn't about just showing up at church. Fellowship is about the life-giving relationships that you give yourself to in the context of the church. We are devoted to fellowship, to being together, to building close, intimate friendships and relationship with those who also follow Christ. And I'm telling you, being devoted, I, I know like since we come from such a, just a broken world, and we all have had really, really bad experiences in different levels of relationship, right? Most of us, all of us, let's be honest. To come into a place that by nature is vulnerable because it's based on a spirituality, it's based on Jesus, it's based on the work of the Holy Spirit. I know it can be challenging for people who have been hurt to come to a place and open up their heart. I know it can be hard because you're like, I don't know these people. <laughs> you're like, or even more, What's unfortunately even more accurate is the amount of, of hurt that people have experienced from people in the church. And it's like, well, that shouldn't be. I was like, well, I, I understand, I guess, what, what you might think in that context, but the reality is, like, we're just people. Like, just because we walk through a door into a building doesn't, all, doesn't magically make our peopleness go away. Like, we're still broken people who are becoming less broken, hopefully, as we follow Jesus and rely on the work of the Holy Spirit. Like, I'm, I'm still broken, but I'm not as broken as I was when I met Jesus. I wasn't as broken as I was when I can think of those moments where I was acting like I didn't know Jesus. You're not as broken as you were before. It doesn't matter how you feel sometimes because you're, I'm telling you, your feelings are so deceptive. Don't ever listen to any Mariah Carey song that tells you to follow your heart. <laughs> worst advice ever. Follow your heart. No, your heart's broken. Don't follow your heart. Your heart's going to lead you off a cliff every single time. Don't follow your heart. Follow the Holy Spirit. Because your heart actually doesn't want what's best for you. So don't follow it. Teach your heart how to follow the Holy Spirit. And that's going to change things for you. But I'm going to challenge you. Somebody came here today um, and I'm, I'm not saying this because I know who you are, but the Holy Spirit knows who you are and that's what he's telling me right now. Somebody came here today and you're like, well, I'll come, but I'm never gonna allow myself to get hurt again. And you just need to know that the Holy Spirit heard that. And nobody is gonna be more 
empathetic to your pain than the Holy Spirit, especially when what you experienced came through the people who were supposed to carry his name. But I think the word of God for you today, whoever that is, is that you need to forgive and you need to allow yourself to be open again because there are things inside of you that will never come to pass when you live a guarded life. Outside of the church, yes, there's absolute wisdom in being guarded in different places. And it's unfortunate that even inside the church, we feel like we have to be guarded. But listen, let's have grace for each other because we're, we're all on that journey, right? Like perfect has not yet come. That's why we still need scripture. That's why we still need the Holy Spirit. That's why we still need the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That's why we, we still have prophecy. That's why we still have prayer language and speaking in tongues. That's why we still need miracles and signs and wonders because the perfect has not yet come. We are not in perfected unity yet and that won't come until Jesus returns and we are gathered together as a body of Christ to exist with God without the limitation of sin. But right now, we're in it. We are in it together, guys, and we need each other. And you will, you will never be able to reach the potential of what is inside of you if you don't give yourself over to biblical fellowship with everybody else. So if you don't know what to do, just take, just take a little baby step. Always go back to, I mean, some of y'all don't even know, like, what about Bob? I love that movie. What a psycho. Anyway, what about Bob? He was afraid of everything, right? I'm going to get on the elevator, baby steps to the elevator, baby steps to the elevator. You know, was, take that approach in, in your faith. Like, maybe you're not going to go out and run a spiritual marathon tomorrow. That's okay. Take some baby steps. For some of you, like, our cruise season for the fall is, is just about over. And some of you were signed up. You're like, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for it this time, but never showed up. And it's okay. Don't beat yourself up for that. We're going to do it again in the, in the winter, spring. Get into a small group. Allow yourself to get in an environment with people that's where you can't just like sit in the seat and yeah, I'm here, I'm in fellowship. Are you done? Gotta get out of here. Don't wanna talk to anybody. No, God is pushing you to put yourself in an environment where you'll be able to open yourself. Because here's the cool thing. And yeah, I know it's dangerous, but we gotta, we, gotta, we gotta give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to do something. Is that the more we allow ourselves to be opened up in safe environments, you're actually going to experience more healing in that than you will in trying to protect yourself. It's like someone who wants to learn how to ride a bike but never gets on a bike. Because, well, if I get on the bike, I don't know how to ride it, I'm gonna fall and hurt myself. So I love riding bikes, but I'm never gonna do it because <laughs> I wanna keep myself protected. Well, that just doesn't even make sense, right? Same way with the fellowship because what you are missing out on in efforts to protect yourself is actually the very thing that will bring healing for what you need. We need each other. We need fellowship. And don't ever think that that type of connection, that type of relationship, that devotion to showing up and being in community with people here is not that big of a deal. Cause you know, I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna read my Bible, I give, I do these things. No, you also need to have devoted fellowship with one another. One of my favorite verses here, I'll end on this, 2 Timothy 2.22 is a great youth ministry verse, but this is for us. <laughs> this is so powerful for us. Um, Paul says to Timothy, he says, flee also youthful lust. He's not just talking about teens, but just the things that would trip us up when we're young, but for adults. He said, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So yeah, there's, there's wisdom that's involved in, in fellowship because you don't just wanna roll with anybody who claims to be a Christian. As a matter of fact, Paul kind of gets pretty, 
pretty hard on those who claim to be Christian but continue to blatantly live in defiance to what the Word of God says. I mean, he goes as far as to say, hey, people who are living in sexual sin and greed and idolatry and all, and all this other stuff, he's like, if they claim to be a Christian and they choose to continue to live that way, he's like, don't even share a meal with them, which is significant because one of the things that created the church was sharing meals. So he wasn't just saying that casually, he's going back to the definition of what the church is. And it's pretty, he was pretty hardcore about that. He's like, don't even, he's like, I'm not talking about people in the world because if, if that was the case, we would have to like be taken out of this world because we're surrounded by it. It's like, no, it's like when you get saved, be a light to those who don't know God, but be wise about the people that you do fellowship with. Make sure there's a pure heart, not a perfect heart, a pure heart. Build relationships with people who are gonna help you along the way. Can I pray for you? I feel like um, just in this moment, um, at the end of our 915, I was, I was literally praying, I had everybody with their eyes closed and I'm praying with my eyes open. Because if you have your eyes closed, just telling you my eyes are open most of the time. And I, I can't, can't help but looking back at our prayer wall in the back. And, and it almost, if that's a weird thing to say, like it almost distracted me. If you don't know what that is, back on our back wall, there's a big, you know, a big um, sign that we put up where you write, and this is for anybody. Like if you, there's something that you want the church to be in agreement with you praying for, write it up on that wall. You know, be, be wise if there's sensitive information, but write it up on the wall. And when you get an answer to that prayer, put a sticky note on top of it. And I'm telling you, every single week we see more and more sticky notes popping up on that wall. And, uh, but at the same time, there's still a ton of things back there that we're still praying and believing for. And, um, and I just, somebody, somebody today, like prophetically, I just felt the Holy Spirit saying, um, somebody today needs to be reminded to not give up in what you're praying for. Don't give up what you're praying for. Because what God is doing, what God wants to do for you also involves something that he's doing in the season through you. You ever thought about that? Like the things like, God, I need you to provide this. And God might be using the need that you have to work in other people in their situations. Like all these things are connected and God knows what he's doing. It's crazy. So I look back at that wall and every, I look at those sticky notes and there's, um, there's homes. God, we, we need a home. Boom, got a home. There's jobs. I'm praying for a job or a promotion or an opportunity. Boom, answer prayer. Um, cancers that are being healed. Um, people that were believing for children, having babies, like um, all the, like praying for relatives and family members to come to know God. And we're seeing, we're seeing breakthroughs happen. God, don't, don't give up. Please don't give up on what you're believing for. Please don't stop asking God just because it's not happening in your time. Don't give up. Don't stop asking. God knows what he's doing. And he's trying to lead you along a path that's going to help you to see what he's doing. But don't give up. Don't get weary because God in his due time, he's gonna come through. He's gonna come through for you. Thank you again for joining us on the Combo Church Podcast. Special shout out to those who give so generously to Combo Church. It's because of you that this ministry is even possible. If you wanna sow into the ministry, go to combochurch.com and simply click the give button, it's that easy. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, follow, take a screenshot and share it on your social stories and tag us at Combo Church. Thanks again for listening and make sure you tune in to the next episode of the Combo Church Podcast.